All right, welcome to this wrap-up of the Book of Acts here on the Listener's Commentary. In this recording, what I want to do is I just want to kind of step back and at a 10,000-foot level just kind of reflect on some things that I think are really important for us to pay attention to as we conclude the Book of Acts. As I noted in the very last recording, by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, it's been about 30 years since the beginning. And in 30 years, the church went from a handful of Jewish believers in the city of Jerusalem all the way to the very heart of the empire itself, Rome. And that's really the span of the book of Acts. The book of Acts really goes from Jerusalem to Rome. In 30 years, it goes from Jerusalem and uh, a handful of Jewish followers of Jesus to there now being Christians and churches all throughout the Roman Empire, even in Rome itself. And because Luke ends the book with Paul just sitting in Rome, preaching the gospel with openness and unhindered, that's the way he ends it, I think that's significant to Luke's point or purpose. He wants us to realize that this is how the early church made a difference in the world and that Rome itself, for all their attempts or even Jewish opponents of the gospel, none of them could stop this forward movement from Jerusalem to Rome and everywhere in between. And so by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, it's now the year 60 and Paul is preaching in Rome, and there are churches scattered all throughout the Greco-Roman Empire, all throughout major cities of the empire, and Luke has told us how that's happened. It's happened by virtue of their courage and their willingness to go and preach the gospel freely, courageously, boldly, regardless of the consequences, in season and out of season, when it was easy and it's hard, they just shared about Jesus wherever they were at. And there are a lot of lessons for us to learn throughout the book of Acts. And I have occasionally paused and just reflected on what I see as some of those lessons as we go. And it would be really easy for us as we read through the book of Acts to be inspired by their courage, to be challenged by their, their loyalty, to be impressed by their generosity, and all of these things that I think are important lessons in the book of Acts. But we could do that. And we could miss what seems to be one of the major controlling themes that Luke has woven through his story of these first 30 years of church history. And that major theme is that at the center of all of this is God himself. At the core of the church's existence is God. And God is the one who really moved the church forward, who moved it all the way to Rome. God's been the key player in this story all along at every major turning point and all throughout that God all glorious, God all powerful, God all sovereign, he is at the heart and the core of the church's existence. He is the one that really gives her this life and gives her this power. And we can't miss that as we read through the, the story of the book of Acts. The book of Acts begins at that point in Acts chapter 2. In fact, Acts chapter 1, really where Jesus says that 
God will pour out his spirit. You just need to go wait in Acts chapter 2. That's what happened. God pours out his spirit as they're waiting and watching and praying and wondering. And God pours out his spirit. And then they're empowered to speak the word with boldness. And they do so. And 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus and are baptized on that very day. And as you watch the rest of the story unfold... It's just like that. In Acts chapter 4, in response to the, the threats of the leaders there in Jerusalem, what do they do? They pray, and the place where they're at and meeting is shaken, and they're filled with the Spirit, and they go out and they preach the Word of God with all boldness. Uh, when Ananias and Sapphira deceived the church, what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit that they actually lied to because it's the Holy Spirit who in, in lives within the church and inhabits the church. And so they are dealt with because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you God orchestrates the way he pours out his Spirit on the Samaritans to welcome them in, God is the one who compels Philip to go connect with the Ethiopian eunuch. God is the one who really, in a lot of ways, accosts Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, Over and over again, God is front and center, and he's the one who's carrying the story forward. He's the one who's at every turning point there present. When you look at Acts chapter 10 and 11 and the welcoming of the first Gentiles, who initiated that episode, the Cornelius episode? Well, it was God. An angel appeared to Cornelius, and then a vision came to Peter, and God is the one who's working that out. Um, Acts chapter 12, who is the one that helped Peter escape from jail? Well, God sent an angel who did that. Acts chapter 13, who initiated the first missionary journey? Didn't come out of a strategic planning session or anything like that. Again, not that those are bad, but those aren't primary. Who initiated it? Well, the Spirit said, set apart to me Barnabas and Saul to the work for which I called them. And then we watch Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And again, the Spirit is leading, opening doors, directing. The Spirit doesn't want him to go into Asia at this point in time. Doesn't want him to go into Bithynian Pontus. So they end up at Troas. They get a vision in the middle of the night of a man from Macedonia calling him, come over here and help us. And so they sail across the sea and they go to Philippi and then they travel down from there. The Spirit appears to Paul in Corinth and reassures him that he has many people in the city. And so Paul stays put there and does good work. Uh, Every major turn in the story, God is there. And even in the last little bit where it's Paul sitting and seemingly languishing in prison, God is present. Um, And God is sovereignly orchestrating the events. And God is reassuring Paul that just as you have testified in Jerusalem, you're going to have to testify in Rome as well. I'll get you there. And Paul does. And Paul ends up going to Rome, uh, granted, through a shipwreck. But he ends up going to Rome with an all-expense-paid trip on Rome's dime. And then he ends up preaching in the city of Rome itself. And so God is the one who's initiating and orchestrating and overseeing everything that we see happen in the book of Acts. And we need to make sure we don't miss this, uh, that we, those of us who are in Christ, those of us on whom uh, the Spirit has been poured out, who are full of God's Spirit, we are God's people. The church exists by God, for God, through God in Christ. Um, that God is the centerpiece of our existence, and we exist 
for his honor, for his worship, to obey him. And this is what Luke emphasizes about the church in the book of Acts. He makes very little reference to programs and organizational structures. He mentions some. You get mention of elders, right? You obviously have the council in Jerusalem. But Luke's emphasis and Luke's focus lies elsewhere. He wants to show us that the church is marching through the Roman Empire by virtue of the presence and the power of Jesus himself through his spirit. It wasn't its organizational structures. It wasn't its strategic leadership. It wasn't its, right? It wasn't any of that. It did some of those things, right? The council in Jerusalem. But those things, again, were uh, overseen by and undergirded by and empowered by the very presence of God, God's own spirit dwelling in the church. And it was the spirit at work through the church that is what made them so effective. And we need to make sure we see that. Uh, recognizing this transforms the church. Um, it, it helps us realize that it doesn't depend on us and our power and our creativity and our cunning and our cleverness. It depends on God. It doesn't depend on the man who runs or the man who wills, but on God who gave us his spirit. And so we as God's people need to recognize that first and foremost, we are the people of God, God's redeemed community full of God's glorious presence. That's who we are as the church. And the apostles in the book of Acts knew this. They knew that they were God's people doing God's work by God's power through God's spirit. They seem to have had this very well-defined self-concept. And so if we're going to imitate the church in the book of Acts, we must first be the redeemed people of God. Uh, we have to uh, see ourselves as under him and full of him so that we can do his work in the world. And if I'm being honest, as a pastor, I've spent a lot of years in pastoral ministry. If I'm being honest, sometimes I wonder if the church at times has had a severe identity crisis. Like, we have wanted people to like us. We have wanted people to be impressed with us. We have sometimes clamored after uh, the same kind of status or um, social prowess or the same reputation as other organizations in the world. Sometimes we have actually even clamored after, after those things with the same techniques and tried to be impressive and tried to be cool and tried to be hip and whatever it is, right? And I think, and increasingly I think this, we need to get back to the simple value of being the people of God. Wherever we're at, being the people of God, deeply connected to God, embodying his principles, his goals, his values right where we live. If we, could, if we could just get back to that prayerfully and humbly, try to figure out what that looks like, then maybe we would be able to do his work in the world with greater wisdom, greater power, greater effectiveness, a little bit more like we see in the book of Acts. You know, because we're the people of God, 
Um, we, we have to remember that the weapons of our warfare, to take a phrase from the Apostle Paul, are spiritual. Uh, they're not the weapons the world uses. Force, deception, manipulative propaganda, right? Anything like that. That's not the way the church moves forward. Um, impressiveness and status seeking. That's not our weapons. Instead of catering to society's wants and arming ourselves with crowd attracting gimmicks, the church ought to arm itself, again, stealing from the Apostle Paul, with truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, hope, the word of God, and prayer. If that sounds familiar, that's the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. Those are the weapons of our warfare. Um, and we need to humble ourselves before God and seek his face and be full of his presence so that we can do his work. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, that at every major turn, God is the one leading the church forward. Uh, God is the one uh, directing her steps as they lived under God and for God and full of God. And I think um, that's probably one of the major lessons we can we can gain from the book of Acts is we are God's people, full of God's spirit, doing God's work in the world by God's power and by God's presence. And as his people, we possess a priceless treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the good news about Jesus, the king, uh, risen from the dead. And that's what they focused on. And even in the culminating chapters of the book of Acts, we watched Paul and his trials keep driving back to that focus that, no, I'm in prison for the, the hope of Israel. I'm in prison for my belief in the resurrection from the dead. And we need to be a people who realize that the power for the, the work of God lies in the gospel, that priceless treasure that we have. And we just need to share the gospel and live the gospel and embody the gospel as his people. And so my concluding words for the book of Acts and for this commentary on the book of Acts is this simple little, I don't even know what it is. It's just a little uh, thing I wrote a number of years ago that I feel like captures what we see in the book of Acts about the church. It says this, march forward, O church of God, in joyful procession. Crown your Lord and King by loyal submission. The love of Christ compelling, the spirit of God empowering, declare his praise, proclaim his ways, lift high his royal splendor, advance the glory of his name, for his majesty endures forever. May we be his people who live that way wherever we're at in the world, because that's ultimately what it means to be the church. As we wrap up the book of Acts, let me just say thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible by your financial support. You guys really are the best, and you mean the world to me and to tons of other people. Here at the time of this recording, we have received about 9,000 300 downloads in a month of the listener's commentary. That's a lot of people who are being impacted by your financial support. And those downloads have come in over 40 different countries. And so to those of you who make this ministry possible by your generosity, I just want to say thank you. Thanks a ton for what you do. And if you're somebody who has been blessed by this ministry, 
uh, I just would invite you to consider giving a one-time or even better monthly donation to help this ministry continue to grow and expand. There are There's a link down in the notes below to the listener's commentary slash give, listenerscommentary.com slash give, where you can go and set up a donation. So thank you for your support, and thanks for being a part of the listener's commentary family.